welcome to On the Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. So my guest this week on On the Record is designer, television star, Tom Felicia. Tom, <laughs> thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. So, so people we're, know we're here at Market. You're in the middle of setting point. up the showroom. Yeah, we're at High Point, which is kind of crazy. I mean, we're in the middle of our setup right now, which is um, moving very quickly in some ways and then very slowly in other ways. We have some furniture that's still not here. Hopefully in an hour and a half, we'll, we will have the balance of our furniture so we can kind of finish up what we're doing. But it's it was, um, it's an interesting, you know, sort of uh, season for us or high point uh, market uh, for us because it's our 10th year being at high point. Um, it is the 20th anniversary of my firm, Tom Felicia Incorporated, which is commercial and residential design in New York City. Um, it is also the fifth year of Sedgwick and Brattle, which is our to the trade showroom in the New York Design Center in New York City. Um, and so, yeah, so we're celebrating three anniversaries. I'm also, um, I'm also 175 years old, or at least I feel that way today. <laughs> Actually, you, May 17th, you had a signature birthday this year. I did, I was 30. I know. I couldn't believe it. Uh, no. My wife has the it's exact same believe. birthday. She was the exact same age. <laughs> she also is May 17th. Is that is she really? Yeah, she really is. Oh, my God. Yes. Now, I was told, and I forget who it was, but they said the most amazing people ever are born on May 17th, particularly the year I was born, which would equal me being 30 years old. <laughs> exactly. I, people can look that up, but Something it's 30. that's more believable on radio. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, are you celebrating those anniversaries in any particular way? Are you doing something? Well, for you know, I mean, in terms of here at market, uh, Saturday night, which is uh, today's Wednesday, so we are going to be a couple nights, three nights away, um, we are doing a um, sort of a, a fun party with a DJ and past hors d'oeuvres and a couple of bar open bars in our space. Um, and just sort of like come check us out. And we're really excited that we're, you know, that we're, Still kicking. So this podcast <laughs> is actually going to come out next Tuesday. So as you listen so, to right, this, okay. sorry you missed it. Yeah, yeah. But you it was come great. To the party. It was really fun. Oh wait, it was the weekend before. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. You would have loved it if you knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, we we it's, it's out there in the paper, so that's cool. Know about it. Awesome. Um, right. I I have to ask you this. Yeah. Is it true that you were discovered in an elevator with your dog? Um, yeah, I mean, it is really true. I mean, um, interestingly, so I, my office used to be in Soho. Um, I had a dog at that time named Paco, a rescue dog, and, um, and Paco needed to go outside to use the uh, facilities that we like to call the great outdoors. And um, he was really like, he was giving me the like the whimper and the look and the whole thing like, and I knew what was going on. So it was, I was like trying to rush to get to the elevator, got to the elevator, walked in, there was like 12 women or like nine women. So it was like a lot of girls in the elevator and me, and then the elevator got stuck and then a woman had a panic attack and then she was panicking because she's like, oh my God, I have the worst news ever because I'm like having this panic attack and I'm alert, you know, I'm, I'm claustrophobic. 
And I said, well, I got real, real bad news. I was like, my dog is about to drop a bomb in this <laughs> elevator. And since you're on the floor, you're looking the most like a fire hydrant to, and compared to everything else. So I, anyways, we sat on the floor, we laughed, we talked, um, and she tried to get her more comfortable and she was, got better. And then, you know, I told her, oh, you're single and the firemen are coming. And maybe, you know, I don't know if you've seen the calendar. Then the hatch opened up and it said, bad news, not the guys from the calendar. And, um, but anyways, it was funny. And she, um, so there was a woman in the elevator, not the woman that I was helping who worked at a talent agency um, and was like a booker or something. And she, um, she was like, wow, she's like, you're like, that was funny. She's like, are you a comedian, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, I'm an interior designer. She's, and we kind of knew each other, but didn't really know each other. And um, so we got to know each other in, for a few minutes. And then like two months later, she called me and was like, so they're looking for an interior designer that would be good on television and that would be fun and funny. And I just have a feeling that you might, that might sort of fit you. And someone, and they said it has to be someone that has, you know, that's recognized in their field and, you know, that would be good with working with, you know, young guys and whatever. So that's kind of how it happened. That is, that was, that was the, what was the springboard to get me to interview with them. And then I went and interviewed with them a couple times and, um, and I didn't think it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden I got this telephone call like, we love you and we, we need you and we're real excited about working with you. And I was like, really? I was like, I hadn't heard from them in so long that I thought it was for sure not happening. And, um, and they were really excited and the rest is history. But, you know, that's how it happened. But you always kind of had a vision for your career that interior design was a, a path to bigger things, right? I, you know, I mean... <laughs> I definitely, so I have a degree in interior design. I studied interior design. Um, I then worked for uh, Parrish Hadley after I graduated, or when, even as an intern, and then after I graduated. And then I worked for uh, a company called Robert Metzger Interiors, and I worked for Jeffrey Bill Huber, uh, and then I went off on my own. I mean, you know, as a young designer, um, seeing things like, you know, some things were, percolating on television that I thought was really fun. You know, I loved seeing interior design on TV because it sort of made what I was doing kind of like relevant, you know, to like everybody, not just like, you know, not just like, oh yeah, I was on my, with my clients at their, you know, house in, you know, Nantucket or the Hamptons or whatever, and we flew on their private plane. So when I was a young guy and, and I was, you know, going out to dinner with my friends, like, the dialogue was, oh, I just got back from D.C. I flew there for the day to go look at a house with a client. And, you know, they were like, oh, that's cool. And then it was like no one really. So now all of a sudden what I was doing for a living that seemed a little like lofty. Um, all of a sudden people were watching TV shows about, you know, people designing their neighbor's house or design on a dime or while you were out or whatever those shows were at the time. And it was kind of fun to see design actually translate to like everybody not just the just people that have private airplanes and houses you know four or five houses which is sort of tr that's sort of where the world i was coming from so i was excited about the idea of connecting and sort of with that element of design that i always loved the idea of you know how do how do we make design you know, respect what it is and where it comes from and what, it, what its history and, 
and certainly, you know, more so than not, you know, you have a lot of people that are, you know, hiring designers to do these kind of big residential or commercial projects, beautiful restaurants, gorgeous homes. But now today I thought what was really cool is to see like just cool design and great design and thoughtful design happening, um, you know, kind of for everybody, a little bit more so. You know, certainly it felt like it had more legs. So I, I was excited about that very much so. And then, um, I, you know, I contemplated studying industrial design, which is product design, um, in college instead of interior design. It was like architecture, interior design, and, and industrial design. Those were the three kind of areas that I was most interested in. Um, and interior design seemed to be the bridge between architecture and product design. So for me as a professional, being able to design homes almost from the ground up really sort of satiates my need for that architectural sort of interest and approach. Um, and then having the bulk of what I do in the design space, which is what I think sort of gets me to where I am, and then having the product as, as at the other book, you know, sort of the, the two bookends are architecture and product. So, and then the bulk of it is in the middle interior design. So I really like having that. I think it's cool to be able to do all of those things, you know. I wouldn't want to just fill houses with furniture and make them look pretty, and I wouldn't want to just design sofas and chairs, you know. Um, I like kind of having my hand in all of it. And I think that they all relate really well. And I think that there's a great synergy. So I don't know. I, you've said that it's important in terms of licensing and having your name on things, that, that it's important to get down into the details of the product design, that it can't just be having your name on something for the sake of having your name on something. That's important. To you. I mean, I, I, that's my philosophy, and I really believe that is true, but I do think that there are a lot of, you know, situations where um, manufacturers use names of designers or people that are recognizable at some level, um, and they, you know, they just kind of pop a name on it, and and it, it's that in, that's supposed to get it sort of moving in a direction. I mean... I, I think the consumer is more evolved than that at this point. And I also think that, I don't know, it doesn't feel like the right way to do it. And it doesn't seem interesting. It doesn't seem legitimate. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think I like it being a little bit more soulful or like, you know, I like the idea of of it having like a real sense of, the person, the designer, the point, having a point of view, having an aesthetic, having, you know, yeah, I think it, I think it gives it a soul. Well, I'm, I'm sure that there are um, names that people put on a product that are more about the name and, right. I mean, Terry Bradshaw has a line coming out at this market and I, I don't have know, like, a feeling he has nothing to do with it. Well, I, I, I mean, he probably said I like that or I don't like that or something, right. but I, I and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm going to get a phone call if somebody listens to the podcast, and Terry's yeah. going to say, oh, no, I yeah. sat down, and I was... A, yeah. But, I mean, there are probably people for whom I it is... I wonder if Terry Bradshaw's boyfriend knows he's doing that. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> when did Terry Bradshaw start designing furniture? That's hilarious. Oh, my God, that would be funny. I should start to do something in his space. That would be really funny, too. We should switch. You could be a color analyst on uh, NFL games. Yeah, exactly. I'll be like, hey... Let's talk about these uniforms. <laughs> How does your design, your interior design, 
inform your product design? When, when you start um, to do the product, huge, do you think about there, how it'll fit in a room and how it'll connect? And absolutely, there's a huge synergy between what we do as a design firm and kind of developing product. Uh, you know, we're, one of the things is that our product, we really wanted our product to be something that was more accessible than typically what we would be doing for our private clients. Um, and we wanted it to be something that, that, that had the ability to actually, you know, move and be out into the world and connect with designers and buyers, um, not only from a design standpoint, a lifestyle standpoint, but also a, sort of a, a price point. So that was really important. Um, and then I would say, you know, I think having a good understanding of interior design, um, space planning, furniture scale, um, understanding sort of the mix of materials, how to mix furniture, what looks good together, what kind of doesn't. Um, I would say it's very helpful um, with the furniture collection showing it and so on. But um, I would say that, yeah, I think there's a great synergy between the product, um, the interiors, um, and also even the architecture, you know, the stuff that we do from interior architecture to, so I, I think, I, I think uh, yeah, I definitely think that there's a, a good synergy between all of it. When you finished up with Queer Eye, um, what was that like when that was all over and you were doing the interior design exclusively again for that period of time. Was that a difficult? I didn't. That didn't happen. Okay, so tell so, me what did So happen. when I when Queer Eye ended, well, first of all, during Queer Eye, I was still doing interior design. I was doing, uh, I, I had at that point probably about 10 or 12 employees, and we. I was, the entire time I was shooting Queer Eye, I was doing, I, I had my interior design firm. So that was, that, so I, I mean, I had my, my interior design firm is older than Queer Eye. Mm -hmm. So 20 years, Queer Eye's been out in the world for 15, maybe 15 or 16 years. My design firm is 20 years old this year. So I had my design for almost five years before I went on television and I kept it through television. When I was done with Queer Eye, I think the month that, within a month of Queer Eye ending, I had a deal with the Style Network and I did a show called Dress My Nest for three years that I shot out of LA. And I shot that show, I think I did six seasons. So I did something like that. Uh, for three years, I think I did five or six seasons. And then um, I think I did like 12 episodes for each season. And, um, and, then after that show, I did another show for the Style Network called Tacky House. So I think I had a, three years or three and a half years, something like that, with Style Network. And then I did a year with HGTV where I was basically just like, I did like a Christmas special and I did a, uh, I did, I don't know, I did like, I was a judge on a couple of shows. And then I did like another, I think I did two specials and I was a judge on two shows uh, in the course of a year. So it was like each quarter I would do one thing. Um, and that was kind of my, my deal with them, which was so that, and that was kind of slower than everything else. And then after that ended, I was like, I, that's when I started doing all the furniture and everything. And I really started focusing on, I thought, 
I've got to really focus on the stuff where I'm never going to go anywhere. So I took like three or four years, if not five, and really focused on getting the product off the ground and really focused on getting my company kind of back to where it needed to be or up to where I was hoping it could be. Because I really, it, it definitely, you know, everything was a little bit, um, it was, things were somewhat neglected. I didn't have the structure. Now what I've been able to do is build the company in a way that we have a structure so they can do a lot of different things. Before I was kind of like, I was just was absent. <laughs> so it was a different, you know, it was a different structure. I didn't have as many people. I didn't have as many sort of seasoned people. I wasn't as seasoned. So, I mean, it was just a different time. So what did you learn? How did you go about putting that structure in place? Um, I learned, well, I mean, first and foremost, I learned it's better to have, you know, fewer people, but better people. Um, I also learned that um, it is important to, um, you know, work with people that you can actually sort of really collaborate with, you know what I mean, and really communicate with. Communication is super important. Um, and I just feel like, you know, just learning that, you know, trying to, I, I think also just being a little bit more mature, a little bit older, um, we have, a, you know, we have a, a, a great stable of clients and that I was able to sort of nurture and build. Um, we also, I opened a showroom in New York City. So we have a showroom, we have Sedgwick and Brattle now. We have all the products, we have more products than we used to have, which is helpful. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think um, trusting that, you know, focusing and building and, and moving things in the right direction is very, very helpful. How do your clients, or how did they, or maybe I should say, did they differ? Yeah. Pre, Pre-TV and post-TV, were the types of clients that either you were willing to work with or who came and approached you, were they different after having seen the TV I, shows? You know, I, I think TV does not make interior design easy. You know, it doesn't. I mean, a lot of people do not really want to hire an interior designer. People building a $20 million house in East Hampton or in Aspen or in Palm Beach are usually not leaning towards TV designers. So you really have to sing a little bit louder and dance a little bit longer um, to get people to say, oh, wait, I really want to work with you because their first instinct is maybe not to. I think that might be changing now, but at the time it was definitely, it was not easy. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's... Um, It's, I would say the difference is uh, for a while it was very hard for me to get the high-end clients that I was used to getting because they were, you know, like, oh, you know, I think people were worried, you know, that, I don't know, just I was on TV. It was just maybe TV felt a little too accessible, maybe. I don't know. Does it change people's expectations? Because you watch on TV and everything takes place within an hour, right? Or yeah. 30 minutes, 60 minutes. and. All of the waiting and the specking and the ordering and all of that seems to take place very simply. And, and then you watch other TV shows and it's design on a dime, right? I'm going to yeah. take this old piece of furniture, I'm going to give it a coat of paint. And now you want to do something that's very high end. And uh, do you find that, that it changes people's expectations? You know, why does it take eight weeks? Why does it take 10 weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say yes. I mean, there is definitely, you know, there's somehow people are bamboozled by television and they think what they're watching is actually you know, happening, like that's just the way it is. Oh, this is how you do it. No, 
I mean, it, there's, you know, there's, there's 75 people standing behind me that you can't see that are, you know, of which are contractors, electricians, plumbers, and they're all working in one room. And the coat of paint that you're getting is like, you know, it's like, it looks good on camera and hopefully it looks good in person, but the client knows that things are happening very fast. So if it's not exactly perfect, they get it. You know what I mean? Where it's different in the real world. So, um, you know, they're, it's just a different, the expectation of the person who we're working with on television is, is, is trained to understand, they're trained to understand that this is gonna be a television interior design. So you have to take into consideration that there may be some issues, you know, like some piece of the wallpaper that are not perfect or whatever because we're in a rush. Um, so, and that is part of the deal. Um, and I always tell people that's not, you wouldn't, you, you know, having, doing a proper interior design job, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need to make those kind of, you wouldn't need to acclimate to that. Um, and, and I wouldn't recommend people do. I mean, there's, you know, I, I, I love when a project doesn't have to take two or three years. Um, I much prefer it because I think it's more fun. But, you know, um, I will say that part of the reason on television things happen so quickly is because the client is taken out of the loop for 99% of it. They, don't, they, don't, they have very little hand in what really does happen generally. Whereas in the real world, clients tend to get super, 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 overly super involved. And they tend to really slow things down, drive up costs. The two things that they're most worried about are usually a derivative of the client. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The client is like wants to see 42 different stones. Okay, well that takes a little while. And then the client doesn't want to pay X amount of dollars to do something, they want to pay this amount of money to do something, even though that amount doesn't really relate to anything real. So very often they're the ones that, you know, a lot of times projects are spinning their wheels because of clients. Are there any tips or tricks for how you deal with that or how you work through that with the client? <laughs> Tip is try not to be really, really angry with them because it's, you know, they, I think sometimes they're, they don't realize that that's what they're doing. But, um, you know, you try to walk them through like, hey, this is what's happening. You know, this is like, it looks like, you know, our time schedule is changing because we're, we're, we're continuing to shop for stone or we're shopping for hardwood floors or we're shopping for something else. And, you know, hopefully, you know, they understand when you explain to them why, why things are ch changing. It, you know, but some clients are cool with it. Some clients, you know, are not. They panic and I don't understand. This is crazy. It's, you know, it's just, you never, it's, it, each client is different. But, um, you know, I would say on television, the reason things happen so quickly is that they basically sort of, in some ways, sort of get what they get. You know, and that's part of the, that's part of what makes television great is that are they going to be happy? Are they not going to be happy? That's part of what, that's part of the narrative that you're watching. Um, and so, and, and no one could afford to make a TV show about interior design where you had the amount of normal amount of time to do it, where the client was involved and all of that. It so. sounds like you enjoy the diversity of what you do, that it's yeah. not just interior design, it's not just product design, it's not just TV. Yeah. Could you see yourself just doing one piece of that, or is it necessary to have that no, kind of renaissance No, I like doing approach? all of it. I like doing all of it, but I actually have to say, I like doing all of it, but I'm really excited about the idea of having people that I work with that are really good at each and every one of those things, and then I really would rather, I really want to get to the point 
where I'm more sort of going from person to person as opposed to project to project um, and letting the team and the, the people go to project to project. And that way I can just sort of be part of what, um, you know, sort of the bigger picture, work with the clients, do the client meetings, really focus on that and really kind of hand off a lot of the, what I've been doing for the last 20 years to someone that's maybe excited about doing that for the next 15 years. And um, so, because I feel like I really like doing what I'm doing in all of these different places, but I'm even excited about doing more other, doing more of those things. So, you know, the more you do, the more, the more you depend on the people around you and the more you want them to be sort of super hyperly focused in the area that they're focused in and be really, just be able to sort of, you know, my dream is that you saw me moving furniture around here. My dream is to not do that. <laughs> yeah. My dream is to have this coffee mug filled with wine. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize right before we started the podcast, you were literally moving a, mo a, a mirror, trying to get it the exact correct space yeah. from the bed. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, you know, we don't, we have, I mean, it sounds like a lot of square footage. I think we have somewhere between five and six, maybe 5,500 square feet, I think, um, here at, um, at High Point, which I think it's a lot of space, but we have a lot of product and we're trying to show it all and we're also trying to entertain people. So you have to have enough room for people to walk around, get through it, be able to feel comfortable. You want things to be able to be seen, but you also want to show a lot of your product. So it's this fine line between like stuffed, overstuffed, not, you know, like, you know, uh, too, too sparse, you know, so trying to figure that out and really kind of get it to um, come together on, is something that I'm, I think it's something that I'm pretty good at doing, but I'm really open to the idea of Randy, wherever he is, I want him to be better at it than me. <laughs> is there a formula or is it, I mean, when you stand in a room, that, that balance, right, you say between stuffed, overstuffed, that yep. curation aspect, yep. is that something that you can only see by standing in the middle of the room and going, nope, too much, take that stuff out? Or is there, can um, you do something in advance think, to have a plan? I think really, honestly, I think a lot of it you can do in plan. Um, and I always, we all, my thought is to overstuff it a little bit in plan. And then you kind of flush it out in person. And there's always a couple things that we just decide, you know, like we have a pair of Troy chairs. We all of a sudden we realize, you know, we're only going to get one in, but we have the other. The other thing is it's really great because when we sell things off of the floor to have a pair of chairs, is really nice. You can sell them I, or will buy them and or I'll sell them to a client. I have clients right now that need furniture for houses that are buying in like summer homes or winter homes. So I'm like, and they're like, oh my God, I have a client that just bought a house in Palm Beach. And they're like, we just need to stick furniture real quick, get through the season, and then we'll deal with it later. So having those, having the ability to just say, like, here's a great pair of chairs, here's a great bed, let's go. So tell me, um, when people listen to this, it's going to be Tuesday yes. of High Point yes. Market. So if they haven't been by yet, yes. and they want to know... Why should I come and what should what will I see if I come see Tom Felicia's collections here at, at Vanguard? Given the highlights, what do they um, absolutely have to come see? I think I mean I think what they will see, I mean look, I'll just say in general High Point, I think um I think High Point is really going through a renaissance at the moment. I think it was a really big, big part of the industry for many years a long time ago. And then I think it sort of lost its um I sort of, I think it's sort of appeal to the design world maybe 15, 20 years ago. 
and um, and I think it's slowly since I've been I've been here for ten years. The first five years, well, the first three years I was here, the economy was a screeching halt. So you couldn't even get people to pull up in a car. They didn't, they, they didn't have gas money, so they couldn't even come and get the furniture, let alone pay for it. So it was hilarious. But but so those were three slow years. But we able we were able to grow 10% each year. We did well. The economy came back. Um, and it's funny, since the economy came back and also in, I would say, the last five years, it feels like high point. Every market is getting more and more exciting just as a market in general. And I think that's really cool. Um, and I'm excited because I now see a lot of people that used to look at me kind of like a little bit side-eyed when I would say I was going to high point. They didn't understand why I was going there. Now a lot of them I see on the airplane when I come down here, I see them out and about. Um, so it is interesting to see that it is more appealing to a lot of people, which I think is really cool. Um, I also think that for us, what you're going to see here is really, you're going to see, we're introducing a lot of new product. I think we have 30 new pieces that we're introducing, um, from upholstery to case goods. Um, you'll see existing things that we make, um, in a new and different way. Um, we went really sort of sexy and dark with our showroom with all black walls. I mean, all 5,000 square feet, it's just all black. We're showing some of our new wall coverings. Um, with MDC Winfield Tibbany, we're showing, um, we have really great rugs um, that we're showing this market. We have um, our furniture, some of our textiles are involved with Kravit, um, our curtain hardware from, um, from um, Classical Elements is in our space. I mean, we're, we're showing things with our art from Windover. Uh, we have a lot of really great art from Windover. We have a great art line from with Windover. But we have it's cool to see what what's going on with that, which is great. So I, I you know, I would say, um, yeah, I mean, that's our I think there's a lot to see. Um, it's also kind of fun to sort of you can see some of the pieces that have been on our line for a really long time, forever and ever. Um, and they're still here. So it's kind of fun to see sort of the history of where where we've come from and where we are now and kind of how they're, it's still very strongly connected. There's a, a very clear point of view. Um, and we've you just kind of, it's become more and more refined and I would say almost more um, flushed out as a concept. Um, I definitely think that we are, we have a stronger sense of kind of who we are now than we used to have. Who are you? Um, I think we are very sort of, well, everything that we design has a um, historical kind of reference at some level. It feels rooted in history, and and yet it still feels very modern. And um, we try to keep things very clean and pure, so that they are, um, so that they don't feel datable, or that there's like a time, or too much of a sort of a, a stylistic reference. So they're very clean and crisp. And I think they're very classic and timeless. I think they're pieces that'll age well. Um, I think they're, I always say, our collection, our the Tom Fleet Home Collection is something that will make uh, an urban space like a loft or a glass apartment in the sky feel kind of warm and inviting, but yet feel contextually relevant and make sense. Um, and then also, if you were to put our furniture into a beautiful Georgian or a renovated barn in the country, um, it makes it feel kind of modern and sophisticated um, and at the same time having a connection to the history and sort of to the sort of easiness and relaxed attitude of that environment. So I think it's a really, I think our furniture, our designs 
sort of play well with others. So they play well with antiques, they play well with very, very modern pieces, they play well with a lot of different things because although they're very clean and simple, I think the nuances and the little details um, really keep them um, rich and give them a great point of view. You talked a, a number of times about history. What are your historical reference points? I, I, you know, when we first started the furniture collection, it was really called, I mean, I called it Modern Americana, and we have the Copake Eagle, which is um, one of our sort of iconic pieces of furniture, and I thought it was hilarious to take something that you would see, like, you know, I remember seeing the president in the White House and here where the, he walks down, you know, a hall and there's like the, 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 the gilded eagle consoles with the marble tops, and I thought, let's do like a really cool version of those for our collection. And the idea of modern Americana was that American furniture was originally, the concept was it was European furniture, mostly English, but English furniture that was really simplified. So you were looking at, you know, uh, Chippendale or these, but they would, the American version of that would just be really basic, really simple, just what it needed to be. So um, our Windsor chair was different than the English Windsor chair because it really had no adornment, no decoration at all. So it was a like really clean simplification of its European counterpart, whether it was coming, you know, it, what, French, you know, it, whatever the influence was, it was simplified. So I just thought, in a weird way, modern American historical furniture was really a modernization of the furniture that it was a derivative of. So I just thought, like, in an interesting way, I thought the idea of Americana 10 or 10 years ago when I first started my line, when you'd say Americana, people would think of like a spinning wheel or a butter churner. You know, they just didn't think of anything that they really wanted to live with or that was particularly sophisticated. So I thought, hey, let's take the concept of simplification of form and make a collection that really isn't trying to be, you know, uh, any, of any other elk other than American and make sort of a very sophisticated and modern um, collection and lifestyle of furniture that's truly American at its core, but that is also, um, that feels sophisticated. So it's sort of the, it was sort of the modernization or the sort of bringing Americana up to date, like revitalizing Americana and giving it a new point of view and a new fresh take on like, you know, when we would say like, this is modern Americana, um, it just, you know, I felt like it was a space that nobody was interested in. And I thought, everybody loves the way interior design, we, inter we design our homes throughout the world. People, you know, you go to Asia and they love the way the American homes look. And you go to Australia and you hear people say, oh, I wish, wanted my house to have that sort of American family room. You know, so people love that. And I was like, you know, so the idea of it, you know, we, when I was growing up in the 80s, everything was like, everyone wanted to be like an English, you know, manor home or an English country home. And I was like, or, or people would have like a French, you know, like dining, French sort of a country or French provincial or whatever they were doing back in the day, you know, it was always a derivative of something that was more grand or more fanciful or that felt like it had more credentials than, than we did. So I thought, well, I think it's time that we kind of like take our, you know, take our lifestyle and our point of view and really sort of invest in it. If you could live in a different time, stylistically or even... 
I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't want to live before central air conditioning, and I don't want to go too far into the future because I barely can use my phone now. So I'm kind of good right where I am. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. <laughs> we are in the perfect time and the perfect space. Thank you. This All has right. been fun. I appreciate it. Absolutely. This is awesome. Oh, one last question. Yes. 2016, you ran on a platform to make America beautiful again. Yes. Are you running for re-election in 2020? You know, it's actually, this, you're not the first person to ask me that. And I have to say, I have to say, you know, um, there's a lot of people running this time. There's a lot of people out there. <laughs> I mean, and I have to say, I think, you know, there's some, I, I'm very impressed with um, just a lot. I just... You know, I feel like I, I don't want to, I, I, I hope I didn't add to any confusion last time. <laughs> I don't think any of them have your interior design credentials. Yeah, um, I, you know what I'd rather do? Rather than run for president, I'd rather whoever wins, I'd rather just like be able to help them out, you know, with their sort of, their, and when I say their private area, that sounds kind of dirty. I mean, sort of the area within the White House that's sort of designated for them. <laughs> Well, good. Maybe we'll get to see that. <laughs> okay, good. Thanks so much, yeah, Tom. Yeah, thank you. This is awesome.